0: This is a Bible teaching podcast from www.lumen.org.uk That's L-U-M-I-N.org.uk The presenter is Geoff Lumley. In the light of the General Synod decision to bless same-sex relationships, I thought it was appropriate to have a uh, uh, an episode where we consider membership of the Church of England and in particular why I have at the moment decided to remain a member of the Church of England. Now, there's been an awful lot of chat online and in other places of you must get out. No, we must stay and we must reverse this decision and all those sorts of things. And there's the macro And there's the micro. And it's clear that actually the leadership of the Church of England is taking it in a direction which it should not really be going. Not only have they now had this vote where they have decided to bless same-sex relationships, but also they have publicly stated that the aim eventually is to enable and to allow same-sex marriages. Now that's been put on hold because part of the vote, the uh, one of the amendments to the vote was that that second part of it would not be brought forward during uh, the next few years, but that only can hold it for so long because if things continue as they are, we all know that the push is towards having same-sex marriage as something that happens in the Church of England. Should I stay or should I go? So at the macro level, it's clear that the church is heading in a path which it should not be going down. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But at the micro level, I live in a fairly typical part of the country, a village outside of the main cities. And in the main cities, you know, if you don't like church, A, you can walk 100 yards down the road and you'll find another one, either another one in a building which has been built as a church or a pop up one in an office block or all sorts of different types of church. Or you can just get on the bus or the, the train and go into the city centre where there are uh, what in British terms might be called mega churches. Obviously, they wouldn't be in terms of American churches. Uh, terminology but a church with several hundred people several services on a Sunday and you can pick and choose and find whatever you want but in a village it's not like that in this village there is and only ever has been one church it's the parish church in the next village the same in the next village the same in the village that way well there's a baptist church as well That's five miles away. Uh, But uh, all of these local villages really only have the one church. And even uh, there are places where there were once more churches, where there were the chapels and the uh, other places, but they have closed down. the, The strength of the Church of England is that it has kept open all these churches. May you not be every week. Some of them are down to once a month or even less than that, but there is still a church presence with a vicar, a parson responsible for that village. And if the Christians stopped going to the parish church because of what's happened on a national level, well, what happens in this village? Now, we get a congregation of a few less than 20 every week from a group of about 40 regular members, I think. At Christmas Eve, there was a service in the village church, a crib service, there were 140 people there. People come to the parish church in this village for the big events, for the things they want. They look to the parish church for the christenings for the weddings for the funerals they they come and there's always one or two people who only come very rarely who pop up in a service week by week if there was no christian message if the parish church didn't have godly people in it then what are those people going to be receiving how are we going to reach these villages if the gospel is removed, if people who believe the gospel is, are removed, if, if we just walk away from where people look to when they're looking for a Christian service. So that has been the sort of the struggling thinking on the macro level, this is all going the wrong way. On the micro level, this is needed. What do I do about that? Well, let's start by reading a couple of the articles of the 39 articles of the Church of England, which, are, if you like, are the foundation that makes, in modern terminology, it's the USP of the Church of England. The, the 39 articles are essentially, largely, an almost a sort of exposition of the, of the creeds, it it unpacks bits of the creed. Now, I can't tick every single one and say, yes, I agree with that. Uh, Cranmer, who wrote all this, was a Calvinist, and there's a bit about predestination and stuff like that, which I can't tick exactly. But on the whole, the 39 articles are a very strong rock built on the Bible about what the church believes. And I'm going to read you a couple of them i'm going to read you articles 20 and 21 so this is obviously 16th century english article 20 is on the authority of the church the church hath power to decree rites or ceremonies and authority in controversies of faith and yet it is not lawful for the church to ordain anything that is contrary to God's word written. Neither may it so expound one place of scripture that it be repugnant to another. Wherefore, although the church be a witness and a keeper of holy writ, yet as it ought not to decree anything against the same, so besides the same ought it not to enforce anything to be believed for necessity of salvation. And the next one, 21, of the authority of general counsels, General councils may not be gathered together without the commandment and will of princes. And General Synod is under the authority of, well, the current one of Her Late Majesty, but it will be renewed by the king, I'm sure. And when they be gathered together, for as much as they be an assembly of men, whereof all be not governed with the spirit and word of God, they may err and sometimes have erred, even in things pertaining unto God wherefore things ordained by them as necessary to salvation have neither strength nor authority unless it may be declared that they be taken out of holy scriptures. So those two things together say they have no right to go outside of the authority of holy scripture. Every decision they make must be provable from the written word of God. And, It must be done in a way that they don't take one bit of it to make it repugnant to another. In other words, they don't say, well, it says here X and therefore we will go with that if that's not agreed with another bit. And that's not to say there's contradictions in scripture, but it's just to say that one bit interprets the other and one bit gives you the understanding of the other. And then it says, well, they might err, but if they do err, then clearly it's because they've gone from scripture. And they need to be brought back. So that's a positive safety net, really. And hopefully, as things continue, that might be something which leads people to bring the church back. But of course, in order to do that, well, you need godly people there. If the godly people walk away, and what it said in that last one was that some of the people in those councils may not be filled with the holy spirit may not be um spirit-filled believers uh what did it actually say um in the in parentheses it says when they be gathered together they may be an assembly of men whereof all be not governed with the spirit and the word of god it recognizes that some people might be there who are not governed by the spirit and the word of god uh And therefore, they will make a decision that errs. But clearly, come back, look at it. Men, women who are filled with, governed by the Spirit of the Word of God, draw it back. So, that can only happen if men and women filled with the Spirit and the Word of God are there. So, there's a big argument there that I think that people of faith should not walk away because of a wrong decision but should be pulling it back now that's at the macro level and I'm not at the macro level I'm at a local level but all of that was sort of thinking that made me think well probably but I was still not really sure that I'd heard God clearly and what was God saying and then I read a verse in scripture which suddenly jumped out. I I was just doing my usual Bible reading. I was working through Luke's gospel. I wasn't really even thinking about this, but when I read this verse, it all hit me about what was right. And in context, although this came to me after I read the verse, I will give you this first. There are many passages in the gospels where Jesus insults the leaders of the church. I'm using the word insult slightly in inverted commas because he wasn't out to insult someone in our modern sense of I want to insult you so I just want to use words like your great Wazak. He used language that could be taken as insulting but the whole point of it was to cut into their lives and to make change. So he would call them hypocrites. Hypocrite, the word hasn't changed its meaning. We know what it means. You say one thing, but you do another. So he called the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs, which means inside you stink, but you're just looking good on the outside. And he called them a brood of vipers, which means children of snakes. Now, I think another podcast on those insults of Jesus might be quite good. But who's he talking about? He's talking about the leaders of the National Religious Authority. He's talking about the leaders of the, in inverted commas, church of his day. He is talking about the leadership of the Jewish faith. And then I read Luke chapter 13, verse 10, which simply says, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And it's like a light bulb came on in my head. Jesus has denounced the leadership of the national church. On the Sabbath day, he is in the local church that is under the authority of the leadership of the national church. And actually, if you read on, it's even more than that because he says to the ruler of that particular synagogue, you hypocrites. He talks to the, because the ruler of the church didn't like what Jesus said, he denounced them. So he's in a place under the authority of the national leadership which he has called hypocrites, whitewashed tombs and brood of vipers. He's gone there to teach the word. The leadership of that church has said he's out of order and he has denounced them. But Sabbath after Sabbath he goes to those synagogues. And to me, That was the final thing where I sensed God was saying, therefore be part of this. And if you remember the last talk I did, which was about don't throw rocks, preach the word, preach Jesus. This in a sense underlines it. And I recorded that last one before I'd read uh, Luke 13 verse 10 with this level of uh, revelation from it. Don't throw rocks. Preach Jesus. Be there. Carry on teaching the truth. In that place. Where the leadership can be denounced. As apostate. As wrong. As having gone off on the wrong path. But continue to preach the truth. In those circumstances. In the local church. Week by week. Be part of it. And so I'm not telling everybody else that's the c- conclusion you have to come to but i'm explaining why that is the conclusion for me i have come to i would just want to finish with this slightly provocative thought though because i've sometimes thought this during the 1960s and 70s of christians who were uh, Bible-believing and became spirit-filled and had sort of charismatic encounters, left the traditional churches and formed little home groups which grew up to become new denominations. You know the names of them. And I just wonder what would have happened if they'd stayed in the traditional churches. What would have happened if they'd stayed and they were sharing what they had, not saying, oh, we've been rejected, we're not allowed to, but just being there week after week, digging away, would it make a difference? Because do you know what? They left those traditional churches because they had something better. It hasn't led to this nation turning its back on sin and coming back to Jesus, has it? We do not have a growing Christian witness in this nation. It hasn't done what I think they thought it would do, which was to set the nation on fire. Had they stayed in the traditional churches and dealt with the backlash of their new discovered Holy Spirit's revelations, had they dug away at it week after week, would they have transformed those traditional churches to the extent that there would now be a great move of God in this land, a great fire burning? I don't know. And of course, they will say, God led us to do this, and who am I to say otherwise? I wasn't there. I wasn't old enough to be in part of that decision-making process, really. But I just wonder sometimes what difference would it have made if they had stayed? That's a throwaway thought, really, at the end. The main point of this was why I am at this moment staying in the local church and therefore a member of the Church of England, even though I would say that the leadership is apostate and has gone wrong and is not to be relied on as teaching the word of God in our nation because they have followed the devices and desires of their own hearts really sad but I'm staying at least for now Thank you for listening. The music is by raceforall.wordpress.com.